All right, I'm at my favorite place, Houston Hall, for like a, you know, mock, if you will, remote. And I couldn't think of a better kickoff than with Brendan Kurosami, right? Brendan, thanks for joining me tonight. Alex, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you because I met you through Podmatch, and we know Alex Sanfabulipo has a great community there. So thanks for linking up with me on that site. Of course, the pleasure is absolutely mine. I want to talk to you a lot about communication because that's your field, and you have Master Talk. But I want to start with how you got to become the owner of Master Talk because you're in the communications business. I feel like your public speaking skills weren't always there, so you adapted yourself to get there, right? Tell us a little bit about your path. Absolutely, Alex. You're absolutely right. So for me, the journey started when I was in school. So I grew up in Montreal, Canada, where I'm based. And Montreal is a city where you need to know how to speak French. And it's a language I didn't know. So my whole life, I actually struggled with communication. Because not only did I have to present, like most of us, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So I'd look at the crowd and go, oh my god, how am I supposed to present this? The second challenge I had, Alex, is I have a crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was younger. So I always had social anxiety around speaking because people would always look at my arm while I was presenting. So that's the second piece. And the third one is you would think that a communication expert studied in communication. Yeah, I got a bachelor's degree in accounting. So I definitely wasn't the perfect fit for this. But what happened was when I got to college and I studied accounting, I started competing in these things called case competitions, Alex. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. While other guys my age were like playing rugby or football or basketball, I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. That's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching all the other students. And that's what gave me the idea for Master Talk because I realized that all the information I had in my mind wasn't available for free on the internet. So I want to talk about insecurity then because obviously a lot of us come up here to talk in a presentation and we get nervous. But when you have a physical disability, and I didn't let it stop me, I have one leg, I don't give a crap about that, I just keep going. But obviously, it may have made you a little insecure. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, for sure. So when I was younger, I would say a lot of that insecurity really came from other kids in the school. So when I was, let's say, four or five, six, seven years old in that age range, I mean, nobody wants to talk to the kid in a cast who has a weird left arm and who doesn't speak their language because I wasn't fluent in French until I was maybe grade two. But before then, every presentation, I was kind of giving it half in French, but mostly in English because I just didn't know how to talk. So yeah, it was really hard for me to make friends. And a lot of that insecurity came from that. And then later in life, a lot of that insecurity came from coaching people a lot older than me. Like my average clientele today is like 20 years older than I am. And I'm 26. But my average client is like 45, 47, 49 years old. So of course, at the beginning, I had a ton of insecurity around that. But it was through finishing and completing one step at a time that I built my confidence up. And that's the key. You got to outwork your self-doubt, as Alex Hormozzi always talks about. I got to ask you about this then. So 20-year-older clientele, you've got to feel like, wow, they're actually listening to a guy 20 years younger than them. What's that mean to you? Yeah, it's wild, man. I, I think it's an acknowledgement for me. Sometimes I can't even believe it, you know, the life that I have. Like I was having lunch with some of my clients when I was in New York City and they 
brought put me up in a really expensive lunch place and i was like how much is the food like what the and and i took out my credit card to pay and, and my my clients were like no no no, we got it and i was like thank god my god that was a lot of... <laughs> but i think the point i want to drive is I, I, it goes back to this idea that I think I learned from my clients, especially. You don't need to be better at everything. Like the people I work with, they're better than me in most areas of life. Like they have a family, they have very successful businesses that are, by the way, way more successful than mine, even if I've done well for myself by, by, no, by any means. But the one thing that they're not good at, I'm definitely good at. So in the same way that even if you're a billionaire, if you go to a piano teacher, the piano teacher knows more about piano than you do, right? Even if you're a billionaire, it doesn't matter. So I think I think the same rationale really applies to the work that I do as well, Alex, where I was like, yeah, sure, they know everything and I learned a lot from them. But when it comes to communication, there's definitely a lot of ideas that they don't know, hence why they're hiring me. So as long as I stay focused on that idea, I can really coach them and I've and I've been successful at it in a calm and collective way to get them the result. I mean, overcoming your insecurities and now teaching these 20 plus year older clientele. And you gotta give us some names. So now we got some names there. Um, <laughs> tell me about, you know, where you feel you are right now and where you can grow Master Talk. Yeah, it's a great question, Alex. You know, when I started MasterTalk, it was literally my mother's basement. You know, I didn't have any money. I just felt that everybody in my college needed this information. I didn't even know you get paid to be a coach, by the way. I worked as a consultant at IBM for many years. That's where I made most of my money. I wasn't looking to even monetize this. But as I was making videos, I realized, oh my God, like I could do this full time. I could coach people and I could make a living doing it, which sounded absurd to me. I was like, oh my God, you can even do this. But, but now, you know, I'm really thankful, Alex. I've gotten to a place where now, you know, I, I do well financially. Things are going great. So I think for me, 2023 is really the year of growth. It's about how do I take Master to the next level? So yeah, now it's got a lot of subscribers. It's good. I've gone on a couple of cool shows and interviews. But how do I really take it to the next level so that I, I can get the world access to this free information? Because I think the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old girl who can't afford me, right? And that's my end game and that's my mission. I love that. But I've got to ask you this then because you're sort of hitting my next question, which is, okay, so you're doing all this, but for them to actually do it and go on the stage and do the public speaking, tell me what that feels like. It's got to be rewarding to see them actually hit their points and hit their mark as a public speaker, right? Oh, absolutely, Alex. I feel it every day. I mean, it's so cool. You're absolutely right to see people who are really talented. Like most of my clients are super talented and ambitious introverts, right? So they, they have the best technologies, they have the best ideas, but they're too scared to share them. So when you give them that confidence to go out there and share their message with the world, like one of my clients is the CEO of AIM Colors, and she was super nervous. She has a PhD in organic chemistry. She's brilliant, but she was too afraid to share ideas with the world. But then when we worked together on her pitch and all this stuff, she just spoke in front of like a thousand people a few months ago, and she raised like a, so much money for a company. And it's that, that type of magic that reminds me that, hey, you know what? I'm doing something important with my life. Do you feel like you have to be a speechwriter for your clientele or how does that go? The, the behind the scenes look, if you will. 
Yeah, it's a great question. I never get asked that actually. So I, I very rarely do speech writing. It's only maybe five to 10% of the business. Most of the business is like, let's say you were my client, I'd be like, okay, let's do the random word exercise. Let's remove the ums and ahs, things like that. It's more on your communication. But the speech writing I do do, like the CEO of AIM is a good example of that, where if they're specifically technology CEOs looking to pitch for fundraising, which is a very specific niche, those people I'll write their speech because I can do it really quickly and I know how to structure it in a way that's simple and it doesn't take a lot of time. But those are the only speeches I personally write in the business, absolutely. So you wouldn't really say writing is a strong suit or do you feel like you have to have that background anyhow in this business? I, I don't think I'm that great of a writer. I, I'm a lot better at verbal communication. So I, don't get me wrong. I don't think I'm a horrible writer, but I'm definitely no Stephen King. I think most of my, my communication coaching is really on the verbal side. So it's really on how do we communicate on a camera, in front of a camera. How do we do well in a podcast, which hopefully I'm doing well on, right? And then different areas of life. But when it comes to writing, I would say I'm probably more like a 7 out of 10. I think it's really my verbal that I'm more 9 out of 10. You know, I was thinking about this, right? Because a lot of these actors we see make the jokes come to life. They make the lines happen, right? So when, when you think of it that way, how vital is timing, if you will? Like, I feel like actors who are beloved as we know them today have that timing that maybe it's a skill we can't just learn. It's an instinct, isn't it? So do you feel like your clients are instinctual as well? Yeah, that's a good point. I would say for timing, Alex, I think it's more of a science rather than an art because a lot of people think timing is just something you're just born with. I think timing can definitely be worked on. So let's say when I used to tell jokes, my timing was always off. But then you try, you listen, like this is the trick, is you listen to a lot of stand-up comedians and the, the strategy is you try and tell the same joke as if you were them. So I used to do this a lot with Russell Peters. I'd listen to his, his bits and then I would replay his jokes as if I was Russell Peters. So that way it helps me practice my timing. So it can absolutely be practiced just people don't know how to do it, which is simple. You rewatch somebody doing it well and you just repeat that information as if you were them. That's pretty interesting. That's why, you know, Austin Butler studied Elvis time after time, hour after hour. I mean, your clientele probably did the same thing. They study this, don't they? Absolutely. And, and that's why they hire me because it's just faster with somebody like me to them. So I'll be like, okay, what have we done this? We kind of like a personal trainer, right? But, but even somebody who can't afford coaching, Alex, I just want to emphasize, you can do this on your own. Like pick a speaker that you really love and just watch them and write down in a transcript what they're saying and just repeat that as if you were them. Like you can do this in your basement. It's just, you know, my clients have that accountability built in because it's just faster. Like when you go to a gym and you're alone, you'll give up to go to the gym. Though some people will still keep going back every day. And then there's other people that if, well, if there's a personal training waiting for me in the morning i don't have a choice anymore i have to go to the i have to go to the gym so that's kind of the perspective that i take on the people i work with i, I want to focus on you though because obviously if you're getting someone who's insecure about their ideas out there and talking about them i can tell right now you've got a very calm presence is that sort of part of the deal with you like you're a very calm guy you can calm people down or what <laughs> I, I think it's something i've worked on over time alex like obviously when i was younger i wasn't this calm or collected and, and i still would argue i'm still a little bit too aggressive and a little bit crazy i think i've just i've just grown and matured because i've had coaching right i think the best coaches have coaches right like i have people who coach me 
and they go, hey, you're too aggressive with the CEO. You're stressing them out. You need to change your tone with them so you're more professional. So I've just gotten better over the years, but but I think I still have a lot to work on for sure. And I think anyone who says they're perfect isn't isn't really that good of a coach or a person. All right. Well, I'd be, I'd be a stupid interviewer if I didn't ask you who your mentor is. So tell me about your mentors then. Yeah, for sure, Alex. So, so my mentor is my business partner, Vamsi Polimetla. He's the CEO and founder of Make More Leaders. So he's a leadership coach and a business coach. So when he met me, Mastalk was just a YouTube channel. I was just making videos as a 23-year-old kid. And he looked at me and he's like, you know, you could charge executives thousands of dollars for coaching, right? And I looked at him like he was the stupidest guy on earth. And I was like, come on, dude. I'm like 23 years old. Who's going to spend thousands of dollars on me? And he looked at me in the most calm face, Alex, and he said, I would. And he wrote me a check. And I just went, oh, my God. So he really believed in me and he changed what I thought about the world. Because I thought my whole life master was just going to be a hobby. I was going to be an executive at IBM. I don't have to do this full time. And he's the one who really pushed me to rethink my purpose and go, I think you need to, you need to do big things with your life. And he ended up being right about that for sure. Well, look at, look at that. And now he's sort of helping back this this whole big master talk company you got. I want to get to rockstarcommunicator.com in a minute, but how do you make sure your client hits the point? How do you help them sell their idea to whomever they're talking to? For sure, Alex. So for selling your idea to other people, here here's the way I would think about it. Visionary communication is all about showing a future that doesn't exist yet. Let me give you an example. Let's say we take Steve Jobs, right? So Steve Jobs, as we all know, the founder of Apple, right? So him, when he first presented the iPhone in 2007, 2008, 2009, obviously today we all have one, but back then we thought the guy was crazy. Like $1,000 phone? Like we have a BlackBerry. Who needs that? So the first rule of visionary communication, Alex, is not to explain the future, but rather focus on the past and why the past is obsolete. So for those of you who haven't seen that presentation, check it out. It's available for free on YouTube. You'll notice that before Steve Jobs talks about the iPhone, he goes into details about why the BlackBerry sucks. So he goes, hey, wait a second, guys. Why is half of the screen a tactile keyboard? That's such a waste of space. No, no, no. That is not the future. The iPhone is the future because that's how you can play games, surf the web. You can have a better UI experience. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Let's say we take Netflix, an even easier example. Sure, you could pitch Netflix as a next generation streaming technology that will change the world. Or you could just say, Alex, are you tired of going to Blockbuster? Are you tired of taking your car out, driving 20 to 25 minutes, getting there, finding out that the movie you wanted is the same movie everyone else wanted, so it's not available. So you get a second-rate movie, you watch it, it sucks, then you forget to return it, and then you got to pay late fees. So instead of that, how about I gave you a solution where you didn't even have to leave the comfort of your own home, where you have unlimited TV shows and movies, and for only $9.99 a month, we're calling it Netflix. People are going to transfer to Netflix because you're explaining the past and you're telling them this past. You don't want to be a part of that past. It sucks. Why don't you use Netflix instead? So there you go. Do you feel like your clients are changing the world? Is that why you're part of your coaching them? A lot of them are. Not all of them, but I, actually, let me change that a little bit. I think all of us can change the world in some ways. Like, I think I'm doing that. I think you're doing that with this podcast. Just one, I don't, because for me, it's not about like you have to be Steve Jobs. I think for me, like from that definition, I think almost all of my clients 
are changing the world. Because at the end of the day, if you're a good person and you're a great communicator and you go from great to exceptional, you're just going to impact more people. And it doesn't mean millions of people. It could be just be the people in your in your company. So I definitely think they are. But of course, within that frame, 10% of them are really going for the big swing. So they're going after millions of lives. And the end game for me is to really help those people as well. Are you mainly seeing a for-profit clientele or non-profit? What's the ratio there? Excellent question. So you, this is something I actually didn't realize at the beginning. And this is something you learn in business as well, more as a tip for, the t for everyone listening, is in business, you just have to do things a lot. And then you figure out insights. Like, you, like what I know now, if you had told me at the beginning, like I wouldn't have either believed you or thought that was the case. So here's the biggest lesson I learned in business, Alex. That was a surprise to me. Is the person who watches my YouTube videos is very, very different than the person who buys my service. Why is that? The reason is because if somebody is spending six hours watching all of my YouTube videos, it means they have more time than they have money. That's that's the point of my YouTube videos. I want to help the world who can't afford a coach. So somebody in, I don't know, South Africa is going to spend six hours, watch all, and then use the tips and go, wow, this free information is amazing and use it. But my clients will only watch one video or two just for credibility. Oh yeah, this kid's good, but I don't wanna watch these videos. I'd rather just hire him directly because I got money. So I just want him to, to teach me. So what that ended up being is three different categories of people. One is the woman executive, women who are at least VPs in their companies or directors. The reason is because a lot of those levels are male dominated. So they feel a lot of insecurity in the boardroom and they also have a lot of money because they're VPs. So for them, they're the perfect clientele to, to get them promoted to SVP C-suite. That's one of, that's where most of my clients come from. I would say 65 to 70% of my clients are women. So that's the first piece, which I didn't expect it either to be at the beginning. The second niche is the CEO entrepreneur, usually from a technology space, but across industry is fine as well. I have a couple of CEOs across the, all the industries, and they're really looking to grow their business. They're looking to speak on stages, impact more lives, get more clients. So for them, spending a few thousand dollars is nothing for a coach. It's like, yeah, of course, if I get 10 more clients, of course, I'll invest in Brendan. And the third one is another coach like me, just not for communication. Think career coaching, fitness coaching, life coaching. Those people who are usually doing $100,000 a year and want to scale to a million, they want great communication skills so they can attract more clients and be on more podcasts like this. Life coach, are you inspired by Tony Robbins then? I mean, you don't make people walk on coals though, do you? <laughs> so I definitely don't make people walk on coals, Alex. But yes, I'm definitely a huge fan of Tony Robbins. I've done all of his programs except for his high-level ones that are like 85 grand. But the, the besides that, I've done Date with Destiny, Business Mastery. I think the guy's brilliant. And I think that's also a principle in general. I think in life, the, it, the world is a teacher if you allow it to be. Like today, there's something I learned from you, which is to be bold. Like this is the first intro I've ever done in a restaurant. We're just like, no, I just got to get it done. And I love that, right? Because a lot of people who are listening to this, they're scared to even press record the first time. Whereas you're going, I don't care if it's perfect. I don't care if I have all the answers. I just want to do something. So because of that, because I try my best to make the world my teacher, Alex, I try and learn something from everyone. So Tony Robbins isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But if we learn something from everybody and we put it all together, 
I think we'll, we'll get really far in life for sure. Tell you this, I'll tell you this, like you're inspiring me to like say, well, I'm just doing this right here, but why can't a whole restaurant come out and watch the show one day, right? That's how I feel right now. I love that. And you know, I was, I know you offer the 90 minute free uh, consultation. So tell us about that for a bit. Cause I've, I already feel jazzed up to try it, try it actually. And we'll do a review of it on our next show. How about that? That'd be kind of cool. For sure, Alex, you're more than welcome to come. So there's two ways to keep in touch. One is exactly what you mentioned, which is rockstarcommunicator.com. So what that is, is every two weeks, we do a free live workshop over Zoom that's entirely free. And I facilitate that call. So think of it like a free workshop that I deliver for the community. So we have a bunch of different, there's eight-year-old kids on that call. They're CEOs of $10 million companies. Like everyone is invited to that to that, uh, to that specific one. And that's our give back to the community. So you can jump there. You can learn a lot about speaking. And then the second way to keep in touch is, of course, you can check out our YouTube channel. You just go to Master Talk in one word, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. All right. I got to ask you this because you, you help people sell themselves, but they come to you for that. So how do you sell yourself? It's not just YouTube, right? It's the in-person as well. The Maybe the first meeting, maybe the first consult. How do you sell your own self to get all these clientele? <laughs> For sure, man. So, so I think the free training helps a lot. There's a lot of different ways in how we do this. But I think the biggest thing in coaching, which is a principle I teach other coaches who are kind of getting started, is show, don't tell. So don't tell people you're an amazing coach. Don't tell people you have an amazing service. Show them. So if you got a restaurant like the one that you're in, don't just do advertisements. Stand outside. Wait for people to walk by. And give them free samples. Hey, this is my meatloaf. Why don't you try this? And then one, if your meatloaf's really, really good, one out of five people are going to say, wow, this is a really good meatloaf. Let me go inside and buy a meatloaf. Right? Same thing with coaching. I don't expect people to think I'm amazing. That's why podcasts like this show, okay, Brendan knows what he's talking about. He's showing some credibility here. But the opposite is also true. Because this podcast and i can't answer your questions like i'm not that much of an expert right you're like oh i don't want to hire this guy so same thing with the free training so the way that we've actually expanded is our lot of a lot of our coaching if you do it well is word of mouth right because you get people great results they tell their friends so essentially the strategy that's worked for us the best is the free training where 90 percent of the people who attend like let's say people from this podcast they'll just enjoy the value but the other 10% are my clients' referrals. So let's say John refers Sarah. I always tell Sarah, come to the free training first just to see what we're doing. So Sarah is going to be one out of 10 people who's watching that training and goes, I think I need to work with Brendan directly because John did. And then they become clients. So that's how we do it. If you're listening to this right now and you're a little nervous to maybe do public speaking, I have this whole adapting series and, and I want you to wait on that. Because it is an adaptation to do public speaking, is it not? Absolutely. I, I do think there's some part of adaptation, but I also think it's like riding a bike, right? You don't know until you try. Everyone thinks they can't ride a two-wheeler when they're a kid, but then they ride a four-wheeler and they're like, you know, my confidence is going up a little. Let's try two-wheelers. And they get a lot better at it over time. So I think it's the same thing. So one exercise I, I would recommend for people to get started is the random word exercise, Alex. So you pick a random word, like light bulb, like trophy, like ceiling, like window, like home, and you create random presentations out of thin air. And this serves two key purposes. The first one is it helps you deal with uncertainty. 
Because let's face it, life is filled with uncertainty. So that's really the key. And then the second lesson that you get from pot, from doing the random word exercise is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So just do it a few times a day and you'll get better really quickly. On that note, Brendan, I got to say this. Shout out to Houston Hall for this unbelievable slider I'm about to have after the show. See, this is how you make something happen. You actually show the food. Hey, Houston Hall, we're at a restaurant doing this podcast. What, what can grow from that, right? Absolutely. And, I love and when you're back in the city, I'd love to bring you here. I don't know if you've been here yet, but it's on Do you Houston. live in Houston? In Texas? No, it's, in, it's called Houston Hall on Houston Street in New York City. So I'm right now in NYC at one of my favorite spots talking to you. And I love it. Man. I love the vibe right now. So, we'll definitely um, get some food next time I'm in New York City. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so... Uh, I really appreciate you you coming on. And I did take a public speaking class in school, but I feel like you're teaching us it's more than just a class or a semester of it, right? Absolutely. It's a lifelong skill, right? It's all about saying communication improves our life. And that's the biggest problem I have with this industry, Alex, is a lot of us focus on the fear. We don't focus on the opportunity, which is, wait a second, communication makes your life better. It improves the way that you look at your family, the way we raise our children, the way we talk to people. And if we realize that, it'll really improve the way that we look at life as well. And then one other thing, spokespeople versus public speakers. Is there a difference? Because I've often wondered, actually. For sure. So I would say spokespeople and public speakers are a big difference because spokespeople are usually like celebrities who are getting paid to endorse a product. So they're not always trained in communication. They're not really paid to, uh, to, to speak really well. I think most of the payment comes from the credibility that they have in their personal brand. So they don't do much besides look good and kind of maybe do a skit or two. Whereas in public speaking, you're really getting paid to speak. That's because you're really good at speaking and you're sharing a message like a Tony Robbins where he gets paid to speak as an example. All right. Uh, obviously, I've met Brendan through Pod Match and that, that's a great service. And I'm glad you reached out to me. I do want to know what made you reach out because I just feel like I'm a kid in New York doing this podcast. Whoever listens, listens. So what, what inspired you to connect? I'm kind of curious now. Yeah, for sure, Alex. You know, for me, a podcast is a way for me to meet people. I just think it's fun. That's why I actually book a lot of time to just meet people and do do podcast conversations and get to know other people. Now I have a new friend in New York City, right? So that's actually the main reason. I don't really get a lot of business out of podcasting. It's just a way to end my day and just meet new folks without having to leave the comfort of my own home. So there you go. Well, in case someone asked you today, how was your day? Just so we know. Like, how, what was the day in the life of Brendan? Uh, remind me your last name. It's 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 it's, You're okay. it's, a, it's a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> You're okay. It's uh, Kumar Salman. I hope you had a great day as well, man. Yeah, for me, every day is great. I'm super grateful because because uh, I get to live every day with my purpose and I get to do things that most 26 year olds don't get to do. You know, most people, most of my friends, they're they're working you know jobs, day jobs. Whereas me, like my my whole purpose is just talking to you, having conversations, and I get paid to do it. It's a kind of weird. So, so I'm really grateful about that for sure. So most of my time today was spent on coaching calls with clients. I had a couple of say, I had one or two sales calls today and I also did a few podcasts. I gotta say, cause you don't look drained at all. You don't look tired from all these calls, but you often find yourself becoming a therapist also while being coached. Oh, 1000%. Like when you're, when you're a coach, even if people come to you for communicate, that's what they're paying me for. 
they definitely bring every other area of their life into the game too. And it's up to me to navigate. Obviously, I'm not going to solve all those other problems, but I think the focus is more being a listening ear for them and their problems. So yeah, but you got a lot of people. I think that's the thing, Alex, is a lot of people, they go, oh, coaching, I, maybe I should do it. It's not for everybody. You have to really love people. Like, I really enjoy this conversation. It's not like, oh my God, why am I here? Right? I really love talking to people. That's why it's easy for me to do this over and over and over again. But if you don't have that energy, oh my God, you should never be a coach. Like, all you're going to do is suffer. <laughs> I was going to say, is coaching a, a competition or do you feel like you're friends with other coaching colleagues that actually might be taking business from you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I used to see them as my competition when I was a little bit more uh, ego-driven and younger and immature, I'll add. And I'm still immature, by the way. I just think a lot less relative to my age. But I think the big piece is I realized in my specific niche, there's a lot of people who need this. You know, communication is the number one fear in the world, Alex. And most of the people who are my quote-unquote competitors in the space, they're much older than me, right? There's, there's, there's like one other communication coach that I know that's really successful that's in my age group, like in their 20s. And he doesn't even really want to do it. He's kind of thinking of quitting. So the next person is like in their 40s and 50s, Alex, which means when I'm 40, 45, all of the people that are my competitors, quote unquote, more like colleagues, they're all retiring. So I won't really have any competition. It's a hard thing to like, what do I mean by this? It's a hard thing to know how to speak, but it's an even harder thing to know how to teach others how to speak. It's a very unique skill set, kind of like being like a, a nuclear engineer. Like, yeah, anyone can do that. Like my cousin's a nuclear engineer, but it's like, but nobody, knows what that is nobody does it so like communication coaching nobody wakes up and says i want to be a communication coach so yeah I'm, I'm very thankful in that way that i don't have a lot of competition well one last thing because you mentioned your clientele age their peers are kind of retiring right so you're dealing with people 20 years older than, than us basically and they might have peers retiring is that difficult for them to to deal with or do they feel like all right now is my next opportunity yeah, I think I think there's a mix, right? So so a couple of my clients, it's really the end of the road for them. That's what they see for themselves. So they'll work on their communication, they'll write out another 10, 15 years, then they'll retire. But these guys, they're not we don't need to feel sorry for them. They're doing well. Okay. <laughs> they've had a great career. That's what they want to do. And there's other people, maybe 20% of my clients, who always want to keep pushing the dial. And don't get me wrong, I have some clients as well, though it's probably 20% as well. I I might not have the the exact number here who are actually my age so i'm kind of tackling it from both angles some of them are my age and the reason they can afford me is because they have high paying jobs or they they are ceos of companies and they've kind of built something like i've built uh, and then there's people who are much older but yeah it's a mix i would say all right well i, I want one little advice if i can i want to grow this podcast into ten thousand plays a download plays a show and i feel very it's a daunting test. So how do I calm down and say, you know what? Just be happy with every download I get, right? Sure. So how many downloads do you have now? And then I'll give I you mean, advice. in nine years, 35,000, which is like 3,889 a year. But I want to up that this year. You know what I mean? That's great. So you're at 389 downloads an episode. And you want to get to 10,000, right? Go ahead. No, actually a year. So if you divide that, it's like almost 10 to 11 downloads an episode. And it gradually 
mounds up, but I want this year to really take off. So what's your advice? Oh, it's a great question, Alex. Here, here's my advice. I would say the biggest one is triple down on the people who are already listening to. Because remember, when I started, obviously the number's a little bigger now when you go on my YouTube channel. But when I started, dude, I had like 10, 20 subscribers, right? I wasn't any, like four years ago. This is not like 40 years ago. So what happened with me? What happened was I doubled down on the people I already knew. So my community of 10 people, I loved on them. I'd send them video messages. I text them. I have dinners with them at restaurants and I'm building that community. So I think that's a big part that I think a lot of content creators don't do is they only focus on the content, but they don't focus on the distribution. Literally everybody who DMs me, even today on my social medias, Alex, they, I still respond to every DM. And a lot of the times I'll respond to voice note. So I'm really showing that I'm human. Even this conversation is an example of that, Alex, where like the main reason I'm here is really just to talk to you and whoever's watching, but mostly to you. Because at the end of the day, even if no one's listening, at least I made a new friend and my new friend will share my YouTube videos with three to five other people. Yeah, I'm going to put your the... link in my bio, 100%. By the way, how about from 10 people to a TED Talk? Let's, let's see if that can happen, right? Come on now. For sure, Alex. But that's, I think that's the mentality. It's, it's not about a thousand followers, Alex, or 10,000 downloads or 10,000 episodes, or it's all about a thousand conversations. If you meet a thousand different people who watch your stuff and you pour into them, you add value to them, they share your channel, your work with three to five people, you'll get three, 5,000 downloads per episode. It's just most people aren't willing to do the work to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Well, you fire me up to not stop. Like, I, I, I'm always wondering if daily shows or daily podcasts are a good thing or too much, but you're inspired to say, no, keep going with it, you know, and see where it goes. So, and, and you're, you seem like kick-ass yourself, and I'd love to meet you when you're in New York next time. Absolutely, man. What are your socials, just so people can follow them? For sure, man. Thanks for having me. So the socials are, for, Ma for Instagram, it's Master Your Talk. TikTok is the same handle. For YouTube, it's Master Talk. And for LinkedIn, my goodness, if you can figure out how to spell my name, you could totally add me there too. I, I think I'll have it in, in writing, so I'll be able to do that. But hey, Brendan, thanks so much. And uh, we'll definitely, this is not the first, the only episode. We're going to do more and maybe I'll do that 90-minute consult. We'd love to start there and see what happens. For sure, Alex. You're always welcome to the training. All right. That was Adapting with Brendan. Kumisari, Kumarasami, and uh, he's at Master Talk, the founder of Master Talk. Thanks to Podmatch for making this connection. What's